Everybody say hi to Joshua. Hello. We've just read <laughs> Exodus 8, 1 through 19. Uh, in case some of you don't know, Joshua is a, a, a friend of ours who's in the military. He's serving in Afghanistan right now. He's supposed to be coming home uh, July or August. So we're looking forward to seeing him. So we thought it'd be good to record our Sunday school lessons and post them. And he's been kind of interacting on, on that. So it's good to, to uh, include him. Uh, what's going on here? We have frogs and we have gnats. Why frogs? Because they're evil. Uh, I don't, somebody has a little bias against uh, our amphibian friends. <laughs> what were the frogs symbolic of to the Egyptian culture? Well, that's a very good question. I'm glad you brought it up. <laughs> Other than just evil, um, let's look at slowly how how let's work through uh, verses one through four. He starts out with uh, to to. Um, so Moses says to Pharaoh, God instructs Moses to say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord. What do we know about that phrase? Thus says the Lord. Yeah, kind of an important thing. That's, that's one of the, the phrases that we saw early on used by Moses to Pharaoh, kind of flippantly almost in their first meeting, in which response... The, the mediators between Pharaoh and the people say, thus says Pharaoh. Why is that important? Equating himself to God. It's a divine decree. Thus says the Lord. Right? It's a divine decree. And what does he say? Let my people go for what purpose? To sacrifice to the Lord. That they may, what does the text say? Serve me. Serve me. They may serve me. Well, who are they serving now? Serving Pharaoh, what is he doing here? He's challenging Pharaoh's authority. That's exactly right. He's challenging. They're not going to serve you. They're going to serve me. Give them up. How do you think that goes over in the court before a man who believes he's a god and among all the people who believe he's a god? It hardens his heart. It hardens his heart, okay? It's a direct assault on his authority. And so he says, if you don't do it, frogs are going to come. Okay, frogs. Um, the frog in Egyptian culture and theology was a symbol of divine power and fertility. Where the Nile, yes, uh, where the Nile is a, a uh, viewed as the, uh, or happy, is viewed as the god of origin of life, of, of uh, fertility for the crops and, 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 and the economic strength. There are two gods at play here with the frogs. Uh, one is the goddess Hecate. And this was an interesting one. In, in, the, in, the, in the hieroglyphics of Egypt, you see this, this woman with a frog's head. Okay. What the heck are you doing? Uh, she's, she's got a frog's head, okay? And the idea was, you had her husband was... Kermit. Yes. <laughs> Knum. We'll just call him Knum rather than Kermit. Um, and so, Knum would take the dust of the earth, mix it with some water from the Nile, and form on a potter's wheel 
the bodies of men, the bodies of women, children, the bodies of children. At which time, Hecate would breathe into them a breath of life, and they would be put into the womb of the woman, and birth would happen. She is the goddess of fertility, of, of, of uh, well, the two of them together form mankind. Does that make sense? No, it doesn't, because you don't believe that. Yes? So you're saying that the theory of evolution was not Darwin, but these two people? You're anticipating. Very good. That's exactly right. This is a, he does the dust, she does the breathing. Yeah? I don't know if this has to do with it, but it's something I thought of. There's frogs in Africa, I guess around the Nile area, that maybe it's more like the Euphrates that floods, but anyway, once a year, the, the frogs stay buried, and once a year the, the, it floods, and the frogs come up, and, mate, and then they just go back into the ground, and it only happens once a year, and mm-hmm. there's frogs just everywhere. So I wonder if that had to do with me, like they would see frogs come out. It's like a sign of life. Yes, exactly. Frogs were considered to be divine creatures. In fact, they were such embodiment of this principle of, of, of creation of man that Egyptians could not kill frogs. Think of Indians and cows. It's the same kind of deal. And so Hecate not only uh, controlled the, the, the second part of breathing life into men and women, but also controlled the frog population because she was given the duty by the, the, uh, the, the panoply of gods there to, to protect the, 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 frog-eating, <coughs> the frog-eating crocodiles. So she would kind of keep balance between the frog population so that it wouldn't get out of hand because that's exactly what happened. In the inundation time period of the Nile, the frogs would go nuts but they would only be around the Nile area in those marshland waterways. What happens here? They're everywhere. And the people call, like uh, Moses makes them come up. So it's like he's basically divine. I guess maybe they could do that. Another interesting point about Hecate is that her priestesses were also known as the midwives of Egypt. Because she's involved in this end of birth process, right? Of, of, so her priestesses had this midwifery kind of thing going on. I just found that very interesting given the fact we read in chapters 1 and 2 about the midwives who dealt with Hebrew children under the order of Pharaoh to, to kill them and how, and how they were saved from them. Um, so these frogs are viewed as having divine power, certainly the power of fear in some instances, and they are not to be killed. And yet, the, the term that God uses here in, in, in eight, uh, chapter 8, 1 through 4, is, is to swarm. They're going to swarm. What does that language remind you of? Okay, and we'll get there eventually. Five, I think. And he, it's, un, it's uncontrollable. It's, it's just they're everywhere. You can't... If something swarms, the only thing you can do is duck and hide. You can't catch them or direct them or anything. That word is used in Genesis 1, talking about when God created the world. The creatures, was the sea was teeming with life, swarming with life. That same idea is there. To Noah, be fruitful and multiply. The language is a similar language to the swarming that is used on 
the, with these frogs. The language that Pharaoh uses about the Hebrew population in Egypt, same language. They're covering the land. What does that convey? That God causes, overwhelms Hecate's responsibility to balance, bring balance in, in, in the frog population. He overwhelms her in the Egyptian mentality. What does that say about the God of the Hebrews versus the gods of the Egyptians? Okay. She's really not in control. God is. Who controls life? Jesus. Always a good answer in Sunday school. God is the one who causes things to swarm, to to live, and to and to breathe. Um, and what about the three levels of social status here that are afflicted by this invasion? What does it say? Verse four. So they're in Pharaoh's. Space, they're in the servant's space. You, your people, and all your servants. And all your servants. Does that exclude the Hebrews? No. <clears throat> they're your servants. They're part of being under the authority of Pharaoh at this point. So even the Hebrews are, are dealing with this increased frog thing going on. Um... All of Egypt is subject to this plague. It says, come up on you. I mean, he's talking about frogs crawling up on Pharaoh himself. I was talking to Dave Robertson about this last night. And he said, think about how disgusting that would be. Frog in your bed. Frog in your kneading bowl. Frog in your bed. Frog in your bread. Um, It's everywhere. How do you get rid of them? You ever squished a frog? With your car? It's fun. <laughs> Playing Frogger? Yes, I know. They made a video game out of it. Um, it's, it's nasty. It, it's one of those kind of creatures that just kind of, I mean, they explode on your driveway. And they're everywhere. You can't get rid of them. They're in your house. They're everywhere. How does this happen? You would expect this kind of thing to kind of happen during the inundation period of the Nile, like what you're talking about, the frogs come out because of the flooding. How does this happen from a river that's dead? That's blood? Is it still blood? Well, it just, I mean, what's the incubation period for a tadpole? Do you know? <laughs> there were... Someone tell me so I can get them out of my <laughs> This, this plague follows immediately on the heels of the Nile turning to blood. The language says it's unrelenting, these plagues. They just keep coming and coming and coming. And so there's not really logically or naturally a time period for them to grow and, and then, then you have frogs. This is a miraculous thing that happens because <coughs> fish have been dying in the Nile so much that they stinketh. And you have frogs coming out of this dead river. 
It also says there are three spheres of natural water that are affected by this multiplication. There's the rivers, including the Nile. There's the canals or streams, various things that are connected to the Nile. And there are these pools, these marshes that contain reeds. All of the bodies of water are struck by the second plague. All of these bodies of water were at one point blood killing what was inside of them, killing what was living in them. And here God not only overwhelms, but does the impossible, bringing life out of death. Always a good answer in Sunday school. All right. Do you notice how he's taking their culture and flipping it on its head? He takes what they view as divine and life and overwhelms them such that it becomes a curse. So they're overwhelmed and out come the magicians doing what they do. And what do they do? They make it worse. How so? More frogs. More frogs. Look, we can add to this. There's like frogs popping up everywhere. They're like, whoa, we're wandering out. There's no, I know we joke about that, but there's really no indication in the text that, that, that it's a sleight of hand. I mean, it, it, is, it gives them, it, it alludes to their, their power to do this. Like, uh, it says, in like manner, the Egyptian magicians called forth frogs. What is the problem with that? They should have been taking away the frogs. They should have been taking They should have been calling on Hecate. Bring us crocodiles, you know. <laughs> Do that something. That could have turned out really bad. That could have. <laughs> Maybe they did think that one through. I don't know. Um, <laughs> and they're bread. Um, so even, even the magicians that can bring forth the frogs cannot stop it. They can't put a halt on it. They only bring more judgment on themselves and can't stop this overwhelming thing. So you have this, really, this epic fail of the magicians to do once again. I mean, you know, the first thing with the, yeah, my guys can turn the water into blood as well. <clears throat> yeah, my guys can bring frogs as well. But what does he do differently this time around? What, is, what, is, what happens differently with Pharaoh? He asks Pharaoh to be taken away. Who does he ask? Who does he ask? And what does he say? What is the language he uses? Plead with the Lord to take away the frogs. What is he asking Moses and Aaron to do? What kind of relationship is he setting up there? Mediate for me. Mediate for me. And notice this is the first time he uses the name Yahweh. What was the reason the frogs were coming? That you may know that the Lord is God. And here he is, he's acknowledging the name of Yahweh. And he asked Moses and Aaron to intercede. And he, he why didn't he just pray himself? I mean, one God to another. He's beginning to be um, submit, submitting, submitting. He's having this submissive attitude. Really? Not really. I mean, he, he, he acknowledges that he exists, I guess, but mm -hmm. he 
He's not submitting to them. He just wants what's good for him. He wants the frogs to go away. How do you know this? How do you know what happens? I mean, how, how, where his heart is here? Other than the fact that it says his heart was hardened, how, how do we see that play out? What does he promise them? He promised them to go, but he doesn't. He really doesn't want to have anything to do with Yahweh. He just wants the frogs to go away from him. And then they can leave. He lies. I'll let you go sacrifice. I'll let you go. Well, he, he rebels, and there are consequences for that rebellion. And he just wants the consequences to go away. Right. He doesn't care about he's, he's the rebellion. He seeketh the gifts, but not the giver. Um, so he sees the consequences that he wants to be removed, but he doesn't really repent. He just doesn't like the effects of his unrepentance. <laughs> okay. He doesn't pray for himself because it's all a ploy. His promise is a lie. Look at verse 9. How does Moses respond to this? What does he say to Pharaoh? I don't know. Good question. Yeah, just do tomorrow's good. I can, can do one. I'm starting to get a taste for them, you know. Um, because he didn't want to be seen with Moses, and it happened immediately afterwards. Maybe. He wanted to be out of sight before. Maybe. Well, another thing is he says tomorrow, and then he says he's basically setting it up to give God another miracle. He's proving that God is God. Because none of Pharaoh's magicians could get rid of the frogs. Right. But God is. So Moses says, you know, I'm not going to do this today. I'm going to do it tomorrow. And it's going to happen. Look at verse 9. Look at verse 9. Um, Moses said to Pharaoh, be pleased, be pleased to command me when I am to plead for you and for your servants and for your people that the frogs be cut off from you and your houses and be only left in the Nile. That language literally reads, glorify yourself over me as to when I should pray for you. Why would he say it that way? What does he mean by that? Literally the language reads, Moses saying to Pharaoh, glorify yourself over me as to when I should pray for you. That's an odd thing to say, isn't it? Can I read mine? Sure, yeah. New King James says, Accept the honor of saying when I shall intercede for you. Accept the honor of saying when I shall intercede for you. What is he saying? Do you remember? Uh, we, Go ahead. He, like, he, if he says tomorrow, is like, and then he could like, go announce, you know, hey, all the frogs are going to go away tomorrow. Okay. It, he he kind of like takes it back. He, he's kind of trying to take back power. Okay. Do you remember the um, the showdown between Elijah and the prophets of Baal? The mocking that went on there? Perhaps, you know, your God is in the bathroom, he can't hear you, keep going. What does he say to them before Elijah calls down fire from heaven? What does he say to do to his altar? Do you remember? Pour water all over it. Fill it with water. 
Why? Not only is my God not in the bathroom, but he can overcome even your soggy sacrifice here with his fire. With his fire. Similar idea here. Moses is saying to Pharaoh, I trust in my God to the point that I'll give you the advantage. You pick the time and it'll be done. And Pharaoh's response, I know we didn't say why not today, but tomorrow, think about this, the land is swarmed with frogs, they're everywhere. This room will be full of frogs, jumping up and down on the walls, hopping on people's hair, everything. It would be, and yet he says, tomorrow. <laughs> it kind of shows that he, in a way, is he's not desperate enough to submit to God to have it done that day. There's still an element of pride there. And yet, tomorrow itself is an impossible request. How could they all be dealt with by tomorrow but for a miraculous event? So God will cause them to return to their natural habitat, the Nile. And Moses' response, so that you will know, again, so that you will know. Remember, who is this God of the Hebrews? I do not know Yahweh. Well, Again, it's, it's pointing to um, almost, an, well, it is, an evangelistic effort on God's part to make himself known to the Egyptians. Verse 11, Moses does not pray in Pharaoh's presence. The honor is to God, not to Pharaoh. Glory is to God, not to Pharaoh. He cries out to God. Why does, he cry, why does it say that language, cry out? There's several times that language is used. In, in Exodus. What what's going on there? Do you remember the desperation they cry out to God when the Egyptians are coming to the, you know, at the on the edge of the Red Sea? This is a Moses is seeing this as an event that will either legitimize his mission or not. If God doesn't come through, he's again going to compromise what he's supposed to be doing. Um, and he's also hopeful. I mean, Pharaoh has said, I'll let them go, get rid of the frogs. Maybe this is it. Maybe this is the deliverance that we're looking for. God come through, he said, he'll let them go. So yes. what happened? Yeah, go ahead. you got to know that the Hebrews were complaining to him. Okay, you're bringing judgment on the Egyptians. Why do we have all the frogs too? Right, right. Yeah, that's, he's hearing it from both sides. Again, um, yeah. I know you, you kind of already said this, and I'm just thinking along these lines. Okay. It's crying out to God is a, a form of humility because, you know, if, if let's say, a uh, president of a country or whatever gets embarrassed, he goes before the microphone and stands up all proud and he says, I'm sorry, you know, it's, it's, it's completely different of doing something like that than down on your knees, bawling, weeping, pleading. You know, if, if somebody pleads, that means that they don't have any pride, they don't have anything to do with it. Mm-hmm. It's all who they're pleading to. And so it's it's a form of humility and giving glory to God to plead, to cry out. And Moses is doing this, not Pharaoh. Good. And it's also worth pointing out that Moses already told Pharaoh that, yeah, it's going to happen, but then Moses still went and prayed about it. That's a good point. Good point. All right. 
So God hears and answers by killing all of the frogs except those in the Nile and the other waterways. They're no longer in the houses and the fields. What then happens? What goes on from that point forward? These millions of frogs that are everywhere are dead in the houses. And they stink. They stinketh. Who bears the burden of doing that? Shoveling them out. Servants. Servants. And I'm thinking if you're even not a servant, you pick up a shovel because you want them out of your house. This is a huge this is a huge undertaking. And the people bear the burden. I no indication here that Pharaoh grabbed a shovel. It's a huge undertaking. And it says he piles them into Heaps, and the language there is heaps, heaps, right? We know in in, um, Jewish literature and Hebrew literature, the repeating of a word intensifies it, makes it bigger than it is, or uh, than you would normally think just by reading one word. It increases heaps and heaps and heaps of dead frogs all over the land. Amy's got a look on her face like she's going to vomit. So you have all these heaps of frogs and a great burden on the people. And what does Pharaoh do? You know, you got me. Let's, let's get these people out of here. You win. Is that what he does? His heart was hard. His heart was hard and he responds in a way that a hard heart does. Not in repentance and faith, but... To increase his judgment. Yeah. I just wanted to make a comment about the hard heart. Uh, I was listening to the lesson last night and I thought about um, this that's happening is against Pharaoh's worldview. Like he doesn't believe in Yahweh, he believes in himself, the Nile, happy, whoever. Mm-hmm. And when something like this happens, it just goes against everything he believes and he just he can't understand it. So I mean it's not like his mind understands everything that's going on, yeah, Yahweh's doing this, it's just hard as his heart. It's just that his mind doesn't even understand it. Can't even wrap his mind around it. So what else can he do but just reject it? Mm-hmm. And he kind of, I guess, tries to make sense out of it and act like it's not really happening how it's happening. Right. Sure, that's part of it. And that's what happens, I guess, in a, in a sense, with any unbelievers. Is they don't accept it, so they can't believe it, and it's their mind. It doesn't make sense. So I mean, they, their hearts are. So worldview matters. Pharaoh views this removal of the frogs as a respite. He sees a room to rem- to maneuver and goes back on his promise. Um, and rather than repent, he reneges on the promise and hardens his heart, as God said. Then you look at verses 16 through 19. What happens there? And what is different here than the previous two plagues? They can't duplicate it? What else is different? What's that? He didn't go before Pharaoh. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. <clears throat> it immediately rolls into the next one. These gnats, the English translation says. What does God tell him? Strike the what? Strike the the dust of the earth. Right? <coughs> and rather than man-forming on a potter's wheel, 
we have what? Gnats. The language of gnats is nice. <laughs> can also be translated vermin, lice, maggots, or mosquitoes, or all of the above. Stick with gnats. <laughs> There's no warning to this. There's no warning. Immediately it happens. There's all these dead frogs in there. Okay? Of course. Mosquitoes. Uh, I, I, lived in, I grew up in Houston, and, and when we first got married, we lived in, in uh, southeast Houston. And um, when it rains in the summertime, uh, things happen. And, and the, 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 the gods of the waterways in Houston produce these things called mosquitoes, and they're the size of sparrows, and they come at you. And, and, and they're teeming, they're swarming. And I remember mowing the yard in 100 degree, 110, who knows, one zillion degree, you know, temperature. And I've got full long sleeve, you know, shirt, long sleeve pants, a hat, you know, big brim hat, and, and some kind of scarf around my head to cover my ears and everything. And mosquitoes, uh, gnats, are just swarming my arms trying to get through the, the two layers of shirt. I'm sweating bad. It's bad. And then, and just swarming. And there are 100 on, my, on each arm, 100 on the left. You remember this? Well, I, remember, I remember going in the house as fast as we could and you let in like 30 mosquitoes just, just yeah. in the house. And they get in your kneading bowl. We took the filter out of our, our, our uh, hand back and put the thing on it because we had tall ceilings. And we'd go around sucking them up so they'd go through the fan. And cut them up. <laughs> <laughs> we used to like, have cats. Like I have cats, and they just they love to just attack those things. The but mosquitoes? They keep, them, they keep them out of the house. The cats keep them out of the house. Mm-hmm. See, that's another plague to me. Go ahead. Are you saying that the evil city of Houston is being judged by plagues? Every oh year. Every year it's judged. And there aren't enough mosquito trucks in the world to control that. Um, but that's what you have. In an even grander scale than what than what we experienced in Houston, and the magicians try to reproduce this, and they fail. And what do they attribute this to? What do they say this is? The what? It must be God. It must be God. The finger of God. The finger of Elohim. Very generic. This is divine. This is a God doing this. Um, we can't do this. They fail to replicate it. They can't stop it. But they realize that it's a spiritual battle that they are losing. I'm losing a battle on the time. Um, they're shown to be powerless. And from this point forward, they're kind of out of the picture. They never try to reproduce another plague, and they leave the battle uh, from here. And yet, even in this, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He still doesn't repent. All right, let's let's see if we can draw some conclusions here. Ecclesiastes eight eleven says, "Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil." Pharaoh feels a little bit of room to maneuver here, and he follows the course of his heart that's hardened already continues this rebellion against God. Frogs are gone, so I've got 
power to move around. I can negotiate. God follows it immediately with the mosquitoes. The Revelation 16, 13 through 14. Revelation 16, 13 through 14. There is nothing new in Revelation. The imagery is far. Uh, I mean, the imagery in Revelation is taken from the Old Testament. Look at verse 13 and 14. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet three unclean spirits like frogs. For they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of the Almighty. What's going on there? Why would he use the symbol of frogs? This validates Cassidy's view that frogs are evil. There you go. It says they're demonic. Uh, These are... uh, This is a sign of deception here. That it's pervasive, that it's teeming, that it's swarming like the the plague, but it's deception. What are they being deceived to believe? Where are they being gathered? To go fight. To go fight who? God. God. It's the prelude to Armageddon. They're believing that they can come and finally wipe out the people of God. It's a, it's a swarming deception that is sent out for one purpose and one purpose only, to judge them all at once. The kings are gathered together to be judged. You see this view of frogs as being a massive deception. Um, so I was thinking this, this week, as we're going through this, um, the, well, how to say it? What you believe about the beginning has consequences. And if it's not biblical, it's deception. And all of our culture is permeated, swarmed with the idea that we are matter, motion, and chance. And because we're formed this way, that's just the way we are. I'm not responsible for how I am because... This is just my random composition. Isn't that where we're headed as a culture? Isn't that where we're being deceived to believe? I'm on the right track, baby. I was formed this way. Is that the way? Isn't that what we're that's what we're being told? That's what we're being deceived with. I'm not responsible for this activity because genetically I'm predisposed to do this. And I'm matter, motion, and chance, rather than saying, I am created by a God who is the author of life and overwhelms everything we have and can tell me how to live. He's the author of life and therefore can write the story, right? And if you're you're born this way, or if it's your parents' fault, or if it's just you're not responsible for how you are, then there's no hope. Right. If, if, if you're, you know, if you have problems because of sin, there's hope because there's repentance. God gives you repentance. There, there is hope. And, and that's the trap, isn't it? That's, that's where the worldview comes into play 
as being this controlling thing that you can't, everything that, that bounces against that worldview, I can't understand it. The Bible, when it talks about terms of repentance and faith, talks about them in terms of a gifting. It's a gift. But for the movement of the Holy Spirit, you won't repent. But for the movement of the Holy Spirit, you won't have faith and trust in Christ. And you see it in Pharaoh. Exactly. He's the, he's the poster child for that statement in, in Romans 9 and elsewhere. Look at uh, Acts 11.18. I'm going to close with this. When they, this is the, the council in, in, uh, in, in Jerusalem, I believe. Yeah, Peter reports to the church. Uh, When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Look at uh, 2 Timothy 2. 2 Timothy 2. I can find it. Verses 24 and 25. Somebody read that for me. I'm having a hard time finding it. And the servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance, so that they need know the truth. God grants repentance. What is a granting? If you're looking for a research grant, it's a research gift. God grants repentance. The Bible talks of that in, in, in terms of his gifting of those things. Look at uh, Ephesians 2, verse 5. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. In verse 8 it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. To overcome the worldview that I was formed this way, that I'm not responsible, that I'm just doing what is natural to me, God must grant repentance. And yet, we're fully responsible for our actions. If God doesn't grant repentance, it's not a pass. It brings judgment. So what do we pray? Why do we pray? We pray for God to move and do what only He can do. Otherwise, what's the point of praying? If he's done all he can do, what's the point? Okay. So as you are adorning the gospel with holiness, fighting the worldview that is resident in us, that we all want to be God, pray for God to grant repentance and faith. Even now in Christ, these are constant gifts. This is the language of the cross. Any comment? I know we're short on time. I got to. I got to cut off. Any comments on that? Well, as a parent, uh, I have told my children, I'm going to pray that God catches you the first time that you do something and you get consequences immediately. Right. And I told them, yeah, because as they get older, Mama's not the big threat anymore because they think they can get away with stuff when Mama's not around. They learn very quickly. They come home. I can't do anything. I get caught in everything. I go, hey, my prayers are working. 
I will tell you, I've had experiences, or, or, and, and I know experiences, especially one I'm thinking of in particular, I wasn't involved in, but a brother told me about it later, where, uh, where no, it's not, that's not the way it sounded, um, where some man uh, just leaves his wife. Just, he's tired of being married. And the, the pastor and, 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 and another guy go with him to confront him on this and say, look, you know, you, you don't need to do this. You're a Christian. You should, you should love your wife, love your kids, stay with them. And he says, oh, I know this is wrong. I know it's sin, but God will forgive me for it later anyway. To which my friend that went with him rightfully said, don't presume upon the grace of God. If these are gifts, they can be withheld. Don't presume upon the grace of God that you will be granted repentance. Philip has said this before, and it bothers me, but he's right. It still bothers me. Um, that you know, every sin we commit could be the one that shows that we were never in Christ to begin with because if he lets us go. That's a sobering thought. Holiness is a serious thing. We need to, we need to take it very seriously. Um, and yet be broken by the grace and gifting of God to grant repentance. He doesn't have to. These are gifts. And we see him not giving that to Pharaoh here, even after the third plague, even after his worldview is shattered. It's still, he's still holding on that he's God. All right, any, any other comments? I'm, I'm praying that too for my kids. They need it even now, wandering off the woods. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your grace that is sufficient for us. We don't need anything else but your forgiveness, and we don't need anything else but the gift that you've given us in faith in Jesus and repentance for our sin. We pray that we, that we are recipients of it, and, that, um, and then we act upon it. That, that, that we do cling to the cross and are broken and renewed every day from the sin that we, that we jump into too easily. We pray that we're kept in your grace. We pray that we are um, preserved and we know that those who are in Christ will be preserved. And so we pray that you continue to do that for us in Jesus. Be with us as we go into the next service. Be with Philip as he preaches the word. Let it affect us, not just go into one ear and out the other. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.